Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family. So welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast, a podcast for coaches at all levels all around the world. And I'm joined today by Glenn Hicks. Glenn, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Brilliant, Saul. Thanks for having me. Um, looking forward to it. Good chat. Chatting Listen, about mate, football as always. I'll just give people a brief. You've got over nearly 20 years or over 20 years experience coaching in all levels of the game. You worked at a Cat 1 Academy many years in North London they play in white if you know what I mean and uh, just uh, so we're just gonna it's just great to have you and your experience on the show have a little chat uh, so for the first show I thought we chat about session design um, in terms of like you know what are the first things you think about you know what where, wherever you are wherever you coach what are the first things that goes into your mind when you're when you're planning a session and you want to uh, produce a quality session for players whether it's grassroots or uh, or uh, academy player. So, what, what's your thoughts then? You're going, to, you're going to set up a session. What's your first thoughts on session design? Um, it's a good question. Um, we live we live in a world where there's all sorts of information on Twitter and all of these wonderful platforms, and we've probably got access to resources and information and some absolute expert coaches sharing wonderful ideas. From we can all log online now and watch a Pep Guardiola session or. Joe blogs down the road doing a grassroots session. You can pick up something from everyone, but me personally, I always bring it back to the players and the individuals. Um, so the first thing is, who are my players in the session today? How old are they? Um, what's their ability levels? So having worked at grassroots football for years and taking junior teams from like under nines, under tens, right up to under 18s, and work the other side in terms of at the elite level with academy players, I think that's always the most important question because when you go from uh, grassroots to academy, there is a huge step up in ability. So we have to adjust our session planning, um, the content and quality of what we deliver. But I always bring it back to individuals first. I, I forget the game. Who have I got in my session? Boys, yeah, girls. Mean, but, but think about then, like you know, practically then. So think, what, how does that affect practice? For example, if I'm I'm locked. You know, what my my thing is that you know I'll, you know obviously I have a picture in your mind what you want to work on and what the topic is, whether you've got a curriculum or, you know, you've got a grassroots team. For me, my first thing I sit down is obviously I'm thinking about the players. But I'm, for me, I'm, I'm one of my main things is ball rolling time. So like yep. about, I like my sessions to try and roll seamlessly from one part into the other. There's no standing around, no going to the side, none of that, you know, that sort of, you know, all to get the players maximize the contact time with the ball. So a lot of my first thing is thinking, obviously I've got an idea what I'm working with the players is actually how I'm going to construct you know, actually build my session into that pitch. So, you know, my things are right. So, you know, for me, it's, it's a bit like, you know, how many numbers have I got? I've got 15, have I got 16? If I've got 16, I'm thinking maybe, you know, I'm starting off in individually and then I'm going into pairs or fours or eights or whatever, do you know what I mean? I, I'm really, my, one of my initial things is a lot is that how can I construct my pitch, you know, to really maximize outcomes and maximize bowl rolling, bowl, bowl, bowl rolling time, that makes sense? So, I mean, I really think about yeah, that. Yeah. So, you want to try and go from seamless to the other. So, you go, especially if you're a grassroots coach and you've got one hour a week, is that every second counts, doesn't it? Yep. And that's why I think it's, it's a good point. And I think sometimes when people watch me coach as well, I, I spend quite a bit of time making sure I've got footballs in my hands. It's what you said about ball rolling time. I'm obsessed with not letting the game die. 
So if, if, if you're doing grassroots or an academy session, it doesn't matter what level. If the ball's gone out of play and they're chasing the ball for 30 seconds, well, if they do that 10 times in a session, you're already clocking up minutes of wasted ball rolling time. So I think it's a really good point. So when I do that personally, I'm constantly either chasing balls or getting other people to do it. And then I tell the young coaches as well, keep the ball rolling, keep it in play. Like sometimes don't even do throw-ins in the games. Like pop it straight back in play, get it in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think I keep... The thing you said about space is important so as well. So... The bigger the, the bigger the space, the more distance they've got to cover. So I try and squash the pitch as much as possible as well, as often as possible, all ages, to be honest, in a lot of the practices to keep it high intensity and really keep bringing it back to your individual or small small group work in terms of technical excellence and dealing with dealing with having to make quick decisions as well. So Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of tight spaces as well. I, I, I noticed actually when I went to Chelsea from Tottenham where... There's a big culture of, as you know, tight spaces, and Chelsea was almost the opposite. Whereas big spaces, much more athleticism, and I sort of, even though I, you know, I, I, my my inclinations was to go back to small space. I thought maybe sometimes I need to have more of a balance where you got to let the players open their legs up a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And stretch them athletically, and also, you know, I mean, um, Diggers, who's the now head of coaching at Liverpool, he was at um, the FA, or the head of one of the head of developments. He always talked about, you know, and he's banned mini goals from uh, Liverpool because he talked about everything tight spaces that you didn't have players going in beyond anymore do you know what I mean you didn't have those players mm. you know in academy football those number nines like Michael Owen almost going getting used to like having balls over top and running behind because everything is sort of small spaces but I mean it just made me think about my my um you know as a practitioner how do I set players I think I, as you know you know our background at Tottenham you know working in that, that academy with Chris and stuff that you know we, we did that technical excellence in those tight spaces Whereas going and seeing someone else doing it bigger, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely probably open up a little bit more sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes have yeah. bigger spaces while have, you know, given those contrasting sort of experiences. Yeah, but I've, yeah, I do agree with that. But it's about balance though as well, because the thing is as well, I think there's an obsession with short passing as well. And I think yeah. what you get there is all of a sudden kids get to 12, 13, they can't kick a ball properly over a longer distance. So even yeah. with that, I, I don't think you should, it's not about, I still believe, especially the foundation, Ava, I still shrink the pitch as much as possible because I think the bigger stuff and the growth and everything, I think you can you can teach someone to run over 30 yards in behind a lot easier than you can to receive the ball in a phone box with a player all over your shoulders, all over your back. So I would still lean yeah. towards that. Um, but so with, with the passing thing as well, I, I hear... I sometimes hear coaches discouraging a long pass, and I think we've got to be careful of that as well because, for me, one of the best passers of the ball in world football full stop at the moment is Edison. And yeah. his 70-yard pass is, is something of beauty like <laughs> David Beckham. And you don't want to discourage that in a kid, but it's about if it's a pass, great, encourage it. If it's just a boot up the pitch, then you, you discourage that intent, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point, isn't it? Because it's a real important technical quality, that ball striking ability, which comes with repetition. So, you know, for argument's sake, then how, how are you going to, how do you, in, work that into your session. Your grassroots coach, you know, you've got, you've got an hour session, you know, ball rolling time, maximum game type activities. How do you get, you know, how do you support players into developing longer passes? Especially got tight spaces as well. Yeah, again, another good point. I think when you're privileged to some of the clubs, you said you've observed people and, and you know, you, you're not as limited with space and facilities. So you can sometimes say, right, we want to go big pitch because you've got the space. But having worked at grassroots, I think, there's much more constraints in terms of your own planning. So after I've worked on the individuals in terms of my session planning, so I would say, okay, what area have I got? What's the weather like? What area have we got? Are we sharing a pitch with the under-12s? Have we got a quarter of a pitch tonight? Because 
sometimes you get a quarter of, a, of an astroturf you know what it's like it, it costs a lot of money as well the bigger the bigger space you get and they're all things to consider with grassroots coaching but um, sometimes that's the way if you can get two sessions a week and you have got an opportunity to have half a pitch sometimes it is good to go a bigger game 7v7 9v9 and, and and open up the pitch but if you are limited it's, it's about being creative like you've got a quarter of an astro do you want to shrink that to half that size for some of the practice and then open it up but like I say sometimes you're, you're you're actually restricted by what facilities you've got and and sometimes you're sharing a grass pitch astro do you know what I mean so that that goes into your individual planning really yeah, I think as well, it's about being creative with your time, isn't it? So for me, it's also like, you know, as you know, I'm not a big fan of passing drills, but you've got to still get that quality contact time with the ball. So I often use those passing, you know, between twos or threes, you know, short, short, long, as almost like recovery exercises sometimes. So high intensity, one on one, for example, maybe break, you know, a few, you know, a couple of minutes of, you know, low intensity passing, work on that technique, and then back into the high intensity stuff. So like active recovery stuff, do you know what I mean? So rather yeah. than, you know, go over there, sit there, have a drink five minutes off, or just go break off, you know, in twos, little just long passing, bang, ping a couple of balls, long passing, a couple of minutes, active recovery, then bang into the next one. So I think it's about being creative, isn't it, with your session, thinking, all right, you know, I want ball rolling time, I want lots of game time activities, but you still got to work on those technical technical elements. And I'm not, I don't believe, you know, even all these you know, constraint-based uh, coaches who want a game based everything like that if, you know if you're not giving players the opportunity to just strike the ball a lot with quality and build mm. that relationship and understand how it responds to your foot you know players are going to struggle to to develop that and you know or you're even monitoring it saying all right there and you, and you challenge them to do it away from training and then you know you need some sort of way to gauge how they go in but i think it's just being about creative about your again your session design isn't it and where you're going to where you're going to put it in there Definitely, and again, like that. So the basic short, short, long. If 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 the listeners can picture it, you know, even if you just got like three players and you play the pass, follow the pass, do a couple of short passes. Again, it's just about the distance. If you do that over ten yards, you're getting short, sharp passes. You know, you're gonna have to move quicker to get on the angles. If you just say, right, open it up, guys. You know, let's go over thirty meters now and do the same practice. You're actually now having to run a little bit harder over bigger distances. You're having to adjust your technique. You haven't changed the practice, but. The distance is is drawing out different techniques. So you've now got to drive or loft or clip the ball, whatever technique you want to focus on. You might set a challenge at the end on a touch. So on the short, short, long, yep. Can you keep it up in the air on the final one you've got to set? Whatever, you can just set technical challenges within the same practice. Um, I, I, I think as well that, you know, there's, a, there's lots of conversations and it's almost becoming a war in football and in, in most development things, really. So the whole nature versus nurture, you know, for me, if you just change the V to a plus and, and, and you say it's really nature plus nurture, it's the same with constraints-based uh, coaching. For me personally, anyway, I think it's about balance. I, I, don't, I don't not do any of them. I, I, I tend to favour um, certain practices, but like drills, for example, I think they're important. I think James Ward-Prowse or, or David Beckham, when you see him hit record amount of free kicks in the top corner, I don't think that comes from doing... A group possession session I think it's stripped back to the real raw basics of me the ball and a target and I'm going to kick the ball properly so I just I just think it's about balance with with practice as well yeah but also look we know because you know we have the Twitter sphere which is like you know the binary yes or no we know you know we work at academy football I've traveled around the world you go anywhere you're going to see game-based stuff and some you know, some unopposed stuff some technical stuff it's like I say it's a balance 
and anyone who tries to tell you tell you otherwise doesn't work or never experienced those mm. environments you know what i mean so that's the reality isn't it it's everyone you choose when and where to do it you know and a bit of a balance here and there everyone wants majority of sessions will look like a game they'll be game based whatever been doing small sided games than bigger format games but yeah you need players need to develop those technical things with the ball as well that that time with the ball so maybe they're gonna again come back to the uh to the session time. what about like a rival activities what's 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 your one of you know what about rival activities you've got players coming in what sort of stuff are you setting up for players to come into yeah again sometimes sometimes it's um it's, it's dependent on the weather as, as, as well so so we've had a nice little bit of winter sunshine the last few days. So instead of getting them in and doing rondos as they arrive or, you know, just some dynamics or a bit of ball each mastery, ball mastery, we've actually got, the football, got them doing a bit of football tennis because the winter sunshine's all right. You know, they come in, they play a little bit of two-touch or a little bit of football tennis. But I think whatever activities you choose, get them on the ball as quick as possible because they come, they come running through the game, even if it's like, uh, ball and wall stuff for the first five ten minutes you know set them a couple of little tasks but get their feet on the ball as soon as possible and a ball each if possible if you ain't got them resources ball between two because the kids come bursting through the gate to your session not because they want to do laps around the, uh, the running track because they'd go to an athletics club if they wanted to but they want to get their feet on the ball so whatever activity you choose try and set something up where it's competitive whether that's you set them individual tasks and challenges like targets get there early make a little square um, uh, Little Johnny, you you done 30 kick-ups last week in the first 10 minutes. Can you hit 35? And then he's in his own little competitive zone. Or if it's a passing practice with someone two-touch, okay, first one to 10, go and play two-touch. Um, but but make sure, me personally, just get, get on the ball as early as possible as a warm-up. So what? So you're saying like rondos, typical, bit of football tennis, bit of wall work? Yeah, yeah, just obviously not, not straight into... You know, you can you can even make it uh, competitive as well. You, you know, warm-ups on a first-team pitch look completely different. I know the sports science team controlling stuff, but they're fully grown men where their machine, their, their bodies are like finely tuned F1 cars. So you need to do that. But with kids, you know, even arrival games, you know, get them on the pitch. Say, okay, for the next two weeks, as soon as you get here, guys, we're going to go into games. Then after 10 minutes, we're going to do a bit of training back into games. So like the whole part, whole thing. And you'll notice that kids get there a little bit earlier, so because what they want to do is games. And it was only just the other night, I'm mentoring a few young coaches um, where I'm working at the moment. And I asked the kids on the way off, uh, three of them, hey, young man, how was your session? Good. What was the best bit about it? Because we've done a whole part, whole thing. I said, the games at the beginning and the games at the end. And I said, why is that? I said, didn't you like the uh, training in the middle, all that technical stuff you was doing? They said, yeah, oh, we loved it. But we just like playing. We love the game. So sometimes just the game is always one of the best activities. And even if it is on a bigger pitch, start 1v1. As they come in, 2v1, 2v2. And literally, it, it, it builds up and you might end up with a 6v6 or 7v7 like a playground in a tight space. But it's a, a great great arrival activity as well. Well, I was going to ask about that whole part hole. How often would you would you use a whole part hole? Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not really rigid. I, I, I'm not really rigid in my thinking and I don't I don't really believe in obsessing about coaching a curriculum because I think it could become like schools in terms of an obsession with coaching the curriculum and, and meeting targets and outcomes and forgetting about coaching players and, and helping young people to develop develop so um, it varies it varies mates you know sometimes you'd, i'd go heavy on it for a few weeks because they need a bit more play time and they need to express their skill levels and whatever else and 
Um, yeah, it, it just varies. I, I couldn't give an I exact answer. I suppose, it, I suppose like if you're, especially with your younger ones, it's easier, isn't it? Because in terms of you know their 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 bodies, they don't necessarily have to do a stretched warm up. They you know go in and get warmed up already. You know until they get to and then you've got to think about the other, you know, got warm up first, then do it. So that's going to affect your ability to go and grow and strain to a game. And then you're thinking, right, well, I've got to do a ball base warm up, please. You know, I still see coaches not using the ball in warm ups. It's ridiculous, in my opinion. Mm. So, like, yeah, but then obviously that affects it. But the younger ones, the best I saw in uh, when I was at Ajax last time, a couple of years ago, pre COVID, they did a whole part hole. I watched the uh, eights and nines do a session. They did game to begin with, and then they went. About, about 20 minutes and then he went into doing uh they did some s and c stuff they will do that and then he came in back and then he did some in, then did some individual ball mastery then he went yeah. into some 1v1 then into some 3v3s and then another game and i thought it's interesting because I, I think maybe i've become a little bit sort of rigid in my thinking saying right you know obviously you've got to do some ball mastery every session which you have to anyway in my opinion you've got to do some ball related stuff in if it's mm. five ten minutes and yeah, it just yeah. sits more easily at the start because you know that's almost when you're warming up players also with the young ones, we can, you know, do it in the middle or even do it at the end. You know, we need to get some contact, some quality contact with that ball to, you know, guided and, and freedom to relate that. So I think sometimes yeah. I've been maybe stuck a little bit. I need to, I could do, you know, do it in different times. It just seems to sit at the beginning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. One, one thing again, just being conscious of the listeners. And again, it depends if you're working, at, if you're working at an academy and, and you've got the, the players two, three, four times a week. Again, I think you're gonna you're gonna see more variety across your across your training plan and your and your your delivery. So, might be more heavy on tactical stuff. And when I say tactical, I don't mean four three three. I mean if they're young kids, they're learning about three v two overloads, decision making on three v twos, overloaded, underloaded, decision making in small group possession stuff. Um, and then obviously on a Wednesday, you might say, right, we're going more really individual. We're going to murder the ball tonight, really physical, really individual. And then Thursday, more games related. So that's, for example, that's, that's a loose um, framework of, of, of what it was like at the club I'm, I'm working at. But if you've got the players only on a Thursday night, uh, uh, South End Juniors FC grassroots team under 11s, again, a, bit, a big part that used to come into my planning when I'd done the grassroots saw was, a question was, what can they do when they're not here so in the next six days is the most important time of their development because they're only with us for an hour and a half this week and we're going to see them again on sunday probably for an hour and a half and maybe maximum 60 minutes game time if we share the game time fairly how we should so in my plan it'd be like okay if they can do that how much can we get them and encourage that type of practice so the ball mastery for example so i am a big fan of it but sometimes i cut it down in my grassroots sessions to do just 10 minutes saying yeah. but you know what for this week you've got to get another hour in somewhere you've got to get at least 10 minutes a day 20 minutes a day that's your responsibility because some of the group stuff that they need to work on the 2v1s the 3v2s the 4v4s the small game format stuff they can't get on their own sometimes you know what i mean they'll play in the playground but a lot of the time it'll be just them on their own training oh, yeah, yeah listen listen I, i'm I, yeah it's a grassroots session i mean even if it's five minutes i mean is it right to do five minutes just get a little bit bored with the ball you know get your body move with the ball then you're into your you know, 1v1s, your 2v2s, you know, I agree, it's like when and where. And then the onus is on mm. the players to say, you know, I think it's important as well to say, you could look, you know, there's little, you know, Jimmy or Jennifer, say, how are they doing that, those movements, those lateral movements? Okay, remember, remember next week, a little bit work, a little bit harder away, you know, it's important to, you know, you're sort of measuring, learning, aren't you? Constantly looking at who's working, who's not, who needs a bit more help. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely speaking grassroots, you know, but, you know, it's five minutes, that five minutes can be really powerful and, you know, um, definitely really really make a massive improvement then you going into your into your your uh, your team sessions and stuff like that yeah and then again and again it's about constantly measuring so when they come back the following week and again i'm just keeping it on grassroots just for a second and 
again, if you see a slight regression because the group as a whole needs something a little bit more, mm -hmm. then maybe you might go much more heavy and say, you know what, guys, we're going to do plenty of game time near the end or in the, mid at the beginning or whatever, but we're going to go 30 minutes of ball work tonight and this is what we're going to work on and set a specific task. And then I think the, the takeaway message at the end of the session is so important. I think the message you give them with clarity saying, look, guys, as a group, maybe you've all got to work on this, this, this. Really work it in the next six days as much as you can till we next see ya. And then individually, the little individual take-home messages. Um, probably, you know, the, the best the best session plan for me, Saul, should always have, especially working with kids and youth development. <coughs> excuse me, um, should be put their name on a piece of paper, the 11, 12 players, and make sure you got questions like, who are they? Where are they? Like, what what? what are they doing at the moment and what do they need from me and then that one what do they need from me from the coach is really important at the end of your sessions what message do they need what do they what are we trying to get them to go home and practice and almost be obsessed about to to, to improve their game like left footwork you can't improve someone's left foot if they don't want to do it like developing two-footed players is an attitude and if, if you know they're leaving your session with an attitude you've inspired and they look go away do this practice on your left foot a um, couple of times a day you don't have to ask have they been doing it because when they arrive next Thursday, you're going to see competency, you're going to see improvement. And sometimes that then will dictate how much ball mastery you do or how much weaker footwork yeah. or do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean listen, absolutely. I agree, mate. It's that onus is on the players. Like, for example, you know, even when I was at Chelsea, we had you know, the boys in and had them a lot. Every session we used to finish with like a, a weak foot penalty shootout for a, for a sustainable series, for a, for a bit of you know, sustainable bit of time. And what you yeah. see was the peer you know, the peer, not even not peer pressure, yeah, but that peer energy to write yeah, yeah. this on, I've got to go away and track because next Highly week, you know, yeah. you know, Saturday morning we're going to be doing weak foot penalties. I don't want to be losing. I want to win this. Yeah. And the, the you know, the, the, the ability of ball strike on the weak foot raise dramatically. It's interesting to see that. Mm. So just like simple things like that. And I suppose it's about how you motivate and encourage players to take that. I mean, it's easier when you're working in academy football, but even, you know, grassroots players, you're going to have players who want to get better, right? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I, and I must say as well, but even even in academy football, I think there's far too many one-footed players. I, I still think it's a bit of a crime when we watch professional footballers. They come out at the end of an academy system and they're playing on our televisions and they absolutely refuse to use the other foot, whichever foot that is, left or right. And I, th I, I think it's something that can be improved across the board. But that, that, that competitive edge thing you said there, so I think that can be created at grassroots as well. And that's where ego is important because... You don't want them to be arrogant with their ego and dismissive of others. And it can't become just about um, outcomes. So the best player is going to be the best player in your session more often than not. And if, if, if there's one lad there that is extremely two-footed because he's practiced really, really well at a young age, then they're always going to win that competition or, or be there or thereabouts. So there still needs to be an element of improvement. So I don't know. It, yes, pe pe penalties um, as well runs uh, is a good competitive edge. But... If it's a left foot kick-up competition, so say everyone's using their left foot and we're going to do scores. And as long as little Johnny is, he was on three last week, but he's on five now. And then next week he's on ten and there's, and there's real tangible progress there as well. Um, I, I think just stimulating that competitive environment is great. But the focus has to be, yes, on the winner because you want, you, you want to encourage winning and being competitive. But growth and, and development as well and recognising um, improvement. As well, so if a kid gets to the final of a penalty shootout, for example, Saul, but last week he was the first one out because he absolutely shanked his first weak foot shot, and he gets to the final, brilliant, superb progress. You're more competitive with that with that weaker foot. 
Yeah, I think it's a great point, mate. And also, that's why I think, you know, coming back to ball mastery, my passion, that's why that's so important as well. When you're doing your movements, make sure you're doing them on both sides, your weak foot turn, your weak foot lateral movement, because as we know, you know, if I develop that coordination on my weaker side, that balance, that agility, that's going to help me with my ball striking and with my weak foot, you know, control of the ball. So that's a really important part. I think a lot of people don't understand that or, well, maybe don't don't appreciate it, rather, you know, that the... the the massive gains you're going to get with movement development, do you know what I mean, with players and their weaker side and that, that, that speed and agility, that balance and coordination, do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think the same. So that whole, so if you just said now to a kid, right, we're going to work on our Cruyff turns, make sure you do five to the left, five to the right. Again, like you say, it's not for me as we know, because we've had, you know, some terrific people educate us and, and, and been exposed to certain things. It's not all about the technical stuff. It really is, especially with the young growing kids where they're, you know, is about the physical outcomes and not just with attacking. I watch defenders that, that young players and again, Premier League, bring it back to the Premier League. And I see technical in the, uh, deficiencies in, 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 you know, fully grown, mature international players where they can't move as well to their right side and they can't just make a basic block or tackle on the right or left foot. Or you, you see a player clear a ball, go to clear a ball off the goal line, reaching across with a wrong foot, and he shanks it in his own goal or scores an own goal. And you think that that's about attitude towards two-footedness, and that starts at a young age. And you see defenders get beat to their left side, if that's their weaker side, if that's not their dominant side, so many times just because of that lack of movement. And, and if you're doing the cruefs and the, and the constant twisting and turning, well, your body's, your body's programming itself, conditioning itself to actually get used to the movements as, as much as the, the, the technical work. It's a great point. I think as well, for me, is when I'm thinking about session design as well, I mentioned it earlier, is that, is that ball-to-player ratio is really important for me. So, you know, for example, I've got 12 players. You know what I mean? I'm doing ball each, and maybe I'm going to do some stuff in pairs or maybe in threes or maybe moving to fours and maybe, like, you know, having being brave enough as a coach to, you know, have two 3v3s going at one time. Do you know what I mean? Or two got you know one v one challenges with like six players here six players there they're both going at it and and being able having the confidence to manage that you know and i think a lot of coaches maybe they'll, they'll they in academy football you know they'll set up a one v one practice and there's 12 players there or there's even you know nine but ten players there and they're queuing you know yeah. saying, why are you doing that why don't you set up two practices at once and have them running simultaneously but i think there's a there's almost like a like a craving for coaches to want to see every single thing right which, which is mm. fair enough but honestly every single action football action but the problem with that that of the you know the compromise is that it's less ball rolling so on the ball getting doing those actions so for me it's more like rather than be guided let them make their own mistakes have the freedom and have ball rolling time and you know i don't see anything i can step in when i want to but the courage to manage those you know even three or four sessions at once you know in the middle or two so you know if that makes sense and then progress up yeah, to yeah. that last game thoughts on that yeah definitely and and the thing is with that and i know it's difficult again i'm going back to resources on grassroots i know what it was like being a coach on my own you know 10 15 years ago just my own balls bibs cones raining i'm trying to picture a session i was doing and you've got 16 to 20 players you, you, you're there on your own your, your assistant is sick sick for the night or something i couldn't get there from work um it takes skill to do what we just pictured there so to to break 
instead of having a queue of players because it's easier to manage i'll have one group i can keep me on to actually be able to orchestrate that session like keep that one keep the plate spinning over there keep that spinning there make sure because they're young make sure behavior's on point as well because when little yeah. joey kicks johnny over there and you know, they might be having on the edge of a, on the edge of a little tear up and then over here it's not as competitive so you might need to move player a to a different group and say just go, can you go over there and play scotty over there and you're not letting them know it's because you want best against best or weaker against weaker. One thing with that saw as well, when, when we, we when we set up 1v1s and 2v2s and 3v3s or any kind of competition, I, I think we're scared to put to put kids to, to play. So this whole play to your strengths, play to your strengths, that's okay. That's okay if it's all performance-based. You know, if you're Premier League, you want to play to your strengths. If we've got Drogba, let's play how Drogba plays well. If we've got... Um, Lots of if we're all five foot eight like Xavi and Esther and Messi and you know let's play that way that brings the best out in them. But I think you've got to practice. You've got to put players in an environment where they're practicing to their weaknesses. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was standing on the side of a pitch the other day with the coaches and said, look at this team. Look how small they are. There's an average height there of five foot eight, five foot nine. It's like a little Barcelona team. And then we looked at the other team and said. Look at the big boys. A lot of big boys in that team. We haven't done that intentionally. But sometimes in training, you should do that. If your little players are not good at coping with someone clambering over their shoulders, and and I would say coming out, this is more coming out of the the foundation phase. So 12 to 16, the youth development phase. We know that's like land of the giants. And, you know, you can get a boy that's maybe two foot. There's a two foot physical height difference. And you've almost got to create in your training where you put them up against the big boy more. Because they're not going to learn to cope if you're not practicing that stuff. They may have to go through a period of suffering, but if you just put him over there with the small ones because they're both small, well, that's what they're going to be familiar with. If he goes up against the big boy and he learns to be a bit more nimble, a bit more evasive, you know, not get tagged as much and not have as much contact, but uses intelligence, technique and great movement, then that will come from actually putting that, put, uh, creating that situation in your training session, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, you know, challenging the players as much as possible. But the question is that how much then do you do that in uh, grassroots? I mean, academy football goes without saying, right, if you're not, you're doing a disservice to the player. If you're not challenging them every session, what's the point? I suppose because you've got them in, you've got your players in grassroots. You know, how much, I suppose it's tricky, isn't it? How much you, how much you, how much you, do you uh, stretch them or not? Yeah, and, and that's that's always. I, I think that in a nutshell is always the, uh, is the coaching conundrum, isn't it? When do you push? When do you can you see the players limits um, because if you push too much it can become just as demotivating and I've probably got a bit of a challenge with that myself I am um, I'm quite a positive coach by nature I think and what I mean by positive I don't always mean happy and smiley because I'm not I can be a right miserable grumpy so-and-so because you know sometimes your standards are a bit, a bit insatiable and a bit unrealistic to be honest and if you don't manage them expectations even within a session um, from elite players to grassroots it doesn't matter if you, if you put too much expectation on a young child or not enough, they can both be demoralising. You know, you get if you get a demotivated maverick in your session because you're totally underwhelming them with your session design and the level of competition, you're not going to get the best out of them. And if you put too much and you, and you break a kid and they become a bit demoralised, you know, um, you know, I'm sure we've all had it. Those that are parents with our own children, if they're struggling at maths or something, if someone's struggling with something, they don't want to go to class and they'll find an excuse to not want to go to school or again if they're demotivated because it's too easy and it's the same across the board with their learning and i think it's just about that, that absolute skill and it, and it is a bit of an art to be honest and some of the best coaches i've watched they've got that they know when to just 
quickly push someone's button and hey you can do more than that and be a bit more demanding and um and, and then if someone's overcritical of themselves and they've made a mistake they know when to put an arm around their shoulder and say yeah, don't worry that's a great effort that's a tremendous effort i can see progress there because the kid's beating himself up and it's a it's a really tricky skill but i think that in a nutshell is is the art of coaching isn't it so Absolutely. And so come, coming to the end of this, this show here, just uh, what's your thing, like a final takeaway, you know, of uh, session design, you know, what, what do you think? For me, also, I'm thinking about like a couple of things is that competitive cauldron for me. I love that like, mm. grassroots level academy football, you know, can you set your practice up, you know, it's comp competition in there. It's all the way through and having that run through. And also that for me, at the end is that free play as well. Do you know what I mean? Letting players, you know, lots of quality coaching throughout, but having that big portion of your session at the end just to let them play and be creative obviously you might step in and talk a little bit shit save here and there but just letting that you know have that free play and that that ball rolling time what's, what's your what's your thoughts on those, those last few, anything few takeaways you think yeah yeah I, I i think the whole competitive thing is really important as well and it's not always a win and lose element of com competition it's more so you can compete with each other and you've got to set that up in a session and be a competitive group. And when you get out on a Sunday, you want the players to be or a Saturday and you want them to be competitive against the opposition. But I think you've got to keep bringing that competition back to me versus me and the player versus the player. So how competitive are you? How, how much do you want to improve your kick-ups or whatever the challenge is that you've set them? You want, to, you want to stimulate that individual competitiveness as well. But I think, I think my biggest thing with session planning as well is... Um, how much joy can they get from the session? Not necessarily, it's not always fun, but it's not always fun. But I think the, one, a really big part of your session plan is, you know, don't get too bogged down with the technical, you know, how, how enjoyable can this session be? And sometimes just saying, boys, you're going to go and play, or girls, you're going to go and play a game of Wembley for 10 minutes is the most enjoyable part of the session. So I think in terms of creating, creating an atmosphere, I've got this thing in my head at the moment, so where, um, if, if so, it's like flowers, you know, like a, a sunflower needs to be in the sunshine to grow. If you put it in the shed, it ain't going to grow, right? And what so you've got to make sure everyone talks about environment, but it's more atmosphere. So, if there's a game or a competition going on, how can you stoke it up if the atmosphere drops or if it if it improves? So, really think about what you're not always the players. What am I giving to this session? Am I an igniter? Am I, am I making this session engaging and exciting and enjoyable? And all of them things leave to the kids going home with hopefully smiling happy feet because they've had a lot of time on the ball and smiling happy faces and I think it's an important thing as a takeaway message to um, what a really good coach educator we all know Saul um, said something that really stuck with me in a CPD we done once and he said you know you know a mark of a good coach is I watch he said personally when he's watching he watches how the kids come into the session how do they run through the door? If they run through with complete and utter enthusiasm and a smile on their face, and they're begging their parents to get out the car on the way in, says they want to be there, and how hard is it to get them off the training pitch? You know that, come on boys, you've got to go home now, finish at 7, 6.58, because you've got to be off at 7, because the next lot are coming on on a grassroots pitch, and they're still there at 7.02, giving you a headache. You almost have to drag them off the pitch. So don't forget about in your session planning, making it enjoyable and, 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 and fun as well, because I think that's what every session we should aim to be. Can't always be that. You know, I'm not an idealistic fool, but I really think you should always Absolutely. be willing to go and be willing to go off task. If your session becomes monotonous and you're just trying to get your session out for the sake of it, don't be afraid to just pick it all up, pick all the cones up, chuck a ball down and say, let's play boys and make the game fun.
I think, yeah, just, just you mentioned the word there, atmosphere. I think it's a great point, a great word there, because the same as environment. For me also is that, that you're right, because for me, tempo in my session is so important. I want that buzz. I want mm -hmm. that intensity. I want people coming out of my session. Energy. And going, wow, what was that? Yeah. That was like an experience, like sweating, working hard, enjoying. Obviously, you know, you want to challenge the players. Not fun comes first, obviously, but I think that's really important. So, you know, your tempo, your sessions, you know, in terms of understanding when to tweak it, when to move it on. You know, if the you know if the boys are bored, that's why. You know, if they're getting distracted, that's because they're not engaged. So it's obviously a lot to do with your design and your tempo. You know, think about my time in the classroom as well in the same sort of principles you know whether you know you don't want the kids to have the opportunity to get bored they shouldn't be getting bored they you know that's in that, you know they're getting bored because what you're what you're what you're delivering right isn't it you know you haven't created that like you said the atmosphere that environment that intensity that tempo that fun you know that mm. you know to do that and i think that's really important but listen glenn you're a busy man thanks very much Al. it's been a real pleasure mate Brilliant. Thanks all. Absolute pleasure. And good luck to all the listeners out there with their coaching. It's, uh, it's not easy. So good luck. <laughs> Take care. Welcome to the Coaching Family Soccer Coaching Podcast. A podcast for soccer coaches from grassroots to the pro game. Soccer coaches who love the game, love coaching, and want to get better. Join our community on Twitter at Coaching Family. Mm -hmm.